0: one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We are but
1: part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end, but they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America.
2: We choose to go on the moon. That's one small step for man, one giant
1: leap for man. this episode of Talking Space, we bring you another first. This is our first interview with Dr. Liz Warren from the ISS Program Office at NASA Johnson Space Center. Now, you may recall that since May of 2011, we've interviewed Dr. Tara Rutley, also from the ISS Program Science Office, several times. Big thank you to Tara Rutley and NASA for making this time with Liz Warren possible. Our next first is that two media organizations are participating in this interview. From Talking Space, I'm Mark Ratterman. Also joining me is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. From Spaceflight Insider, we have journalist Emily Carney, who's been with us on several recent episodes, contributing to our news and commentary. Welcome again, Emily.
3: Thank you. It's lovely to be here.
1: Now we need to get on to the business of ISS science. Dr. Liz Warren, welcome to Talking Space. I'm thrilled you're with us.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm Also thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm a regular listener, and uh, I've met most of you at one time or another, so it's a pleasure for me to be talking with you today.
1: Well, actually, the last time I saw you was at the Atlantis opening, and within probably five or ten minutes of talking with you, I turned around and was talking with Emily. So you were both there. (laughs) Um, Liz, could you tell us something, just to get started here, could you tell us something about your current work as a member of the ISS Program Science Office? What do you do for a living?
2: Well, right now, I work for, as you said, the International Space Station Program Science Office, and primarily I work uh, communications for that office. The Program Science Office uh, really represents all the research on the space station, And provides recommendations to uh, Mr. Mike Seffordini, the ISS program manager. And also to headquarters regarding research directions and priorities. My office consolidates uh, research results, publications, and communicates those results to the public, to our taxpayers, to our stakeholders. And... um, does a lot of essentially just managing, manifesting all of the science going to and from the space station. And in my role, uh, again, really, we, we understand that it's critical that our stakeholders know what we're doing on the space station. Um, what kind of science is going on? What are the benefits to those of us on Earth for doing all of this space station research? Where are we going with the research? Where have we been And what are we learning right now? And that is part of my role.
1: Well, how about you tell us, I'm sure there's things that really interest you with research maybe that's underway on orbit now or something that's uh, going up on a payload with the upcoming orbital cargo launch. What would you like to share with us for starters?
2: Well, I'll tell you, my science background is in human physiology. It's uh, what was got me interested in actually working uh, for the space program. Back when I was in high school, I was really liked biology and physiology. I also really liked uh, uh, airplanes, flying spacecraft. And in high school, I realized that I could really have a job that encompasses both of those things, both of my passions. And, you know, it's, I went to school, I got a degree in physiology, I became involved in spaceflight research as an undergraduate at the University of California at Davis, I really became, um, it was really impressed upon me how important research is, I really involved, really enjoyed asking questions, uh, forming hypotheses, getting answers, revising hypotheses, and, and the whole scientific process is something that really, and I enjoyed it a lot. And that led me to pursuing a PhD, also in physiology, at UC Davis. And again, I was uh, fortunate to be involved in spaceflight research in my doctoral program. And... After getting my PhD, I was bound and determined to work at Johnson Space Center and get involved with human spaceflight research. So I got a postdoc position in the neuroscience lab at at Johnson Space Center. And one thing led to another. I've I've actually been at JSC for 10 years, a little more than 10 years now. I've had a variety of jobs um, everywhere from from uh, being a postdoc kind of on the PI side of the house to ISS science operations, um, so working in mission control, uh, helping the crew on orbit perform their science procedures, uh, training, etc. And now with the program science office, it gives me a little but gives me a pretty good background to communicate to various folks what we're doing. So that said, My favorite research topic is actually uh, astronauts themselves, the human body. When we go into orbit, when we live in a spaceflight environment with microgravity, um, it sure looks like fun. I love watching and enjoying astronauts uh, float through the space station, and that environment looks like such a wonderful place to live, and it is However, it's not really very good for our bodies. Um, we adapt very quickly to new environments. And in so adapting, uh, our bodies decide that uh, muscles don't need to be very strong. Our skeletal systems, our bones don't need to be very strong. And so our bodies go through what we call a deconditioning. And there's a tendency to get weaker. Uh, muscles, bones, cardiovascular even immune system changes. And so those changes uh, fascinate me because, of course, when we get back to Earth, all of those changes have to be reversed. So uh, I'm I'm interested in, in experiments that study how we keep astronauts safe in space, uh, healthy in space, so that they're able to come back home and be healthy, um, as well as future space exploration, when we're going to spend longer durations out exploring in different uh, gravity environments, we have to know how to keep our people healthy. And so those questions are are really the ones that interest me the most. And in terms of what's launching on orbital, you know, we've got a orbital launch coming up. (laughs) The the actual date may uh, be a little bit to be determined because of our current cooling loop issues on the station. Uh, I guess currently it's targeted for December 19. That may change. but uh, on that on orbital one, we've got about 2,800 pounds of supplies going uh, going up. It's one of our commercial partners, Orbital sciences. The Cygnus spacecraft is carrying, like I said, science supplies, experiments, crew hardware supplies, some computer supplies, even some EVA tools. And uh, some of those science experiments are, are brand new. They've never been to orbit before. Some of them were launching um, kind of uh, just continual supplies, resupply of some experiments. And uh, actually, a lot of the experiments launching have an educational component to them. So um, we can talk about that next.
1: Let's go right ahead with the educational component because I saw a number of them that related to student teams that were involved in the experiment that's going up on uh, Orbital 1. Can you pick and tell us about some of those?
2: There is a NanoRacks experiment that we're... I think they're called the NCESSE Falcon. Some of our experiment names aren't all that interesting. There's a lot of acronyms. But essentially, um, there's a commercial science, technology, engineering, and math program that is overseen by the National Center for Earth and Space Science Education. That's the NCESSE. And they've got a student spaceflight experiment program in which they invite students from all over the country to participate, um, to propose experiments that can be launched uh, into space. And on this particular mission, um, we're carrying 17 experiments, um, and there's many thousands of students that are involved in these experiments now. This is actually the fifth, the number five Opportunity that the uh, student Space Flight experiment program has participated in, and i'll tell you there are the experiments they sound pretty sophisticated for student experiments. Um, they range from what happens in microgravity to fungal growth, seed germination, um, bacterial growth, antibiotic efficiency, space radiation protein denaturization. So there's a whole bunch of these experiments that are launching, and they're pretty small. Um, They fit within a NanoRacks module. And some of them involve the crew activating, uh, for example, what what is called a mix sticks. Looks just like those glow sticks that that are popular around Halloween. You uh, have to bend this plastic stick and a little container within the plastic stick uh, breaks. There's like a little glass actually container, and when you when you activate that stick, uh, it allows two fluids or two components to mix, and hence the name mixed sticks. And so, for example, um, in one experiment that is looking at growth of a of a particular bacteria, they um, are curious to know if the bacteria grows faster in microgravity or not. And and this is based on previous spaceflight experiments, which uh, show that bacterial growth is different and grows faster in microgravity. So this this one experiment is looking at a particular type of bacteria and how maybe an antibiotic may prevent that rapid growth. And that's just one example of one of these student experiments. Um, there's another really interesting one that uh, is looking at the effects of cosmic radiation or being in space, how that radiation may damage DNA. And so these students are actually launching yeast samples. And, of course, they have a comparison on the ground. All of these students have developed a hypothesis that they can test uh, which of course involves a ground control so that they can actually determine what really changed and was it really due to microgravity so they're they're going to be looking at uh, dna damage um in yeast and seeing if uh you know did microgravity or being in space change any dna of the yeast so you know some of these experiments are, are pretty sophisticated for For uh, for these students. But the results are actually quite fascinating and uh, sometimes the most simple experiments teach us the most. And I I should mention that these are grades anywhere from grade five to grade 12. So we have uh, uh, end of elementary school all the way through high school.
1: Congratulations to the students and the teachers. I can't imagine anything like this when I was a kid growing up. Of course, that was quite a while ago these days, but still, this sounds absolutely beyond exciting
2: absolutely and and one of the really neat things that these commercial uh, spacecraft and launch opportunities are providing is a quick turnaround of experiments like this um, you know many years ago and uh, we didn't have a space station to fly to or just a space shuttle. You know, student experiments like these weren't as feasible because it, you know, who knew uh, exactly how long it would take for the shuttle mission to get manifested and for the experiment to get manifested and there might have been a a long delay or a slip. And certainly there there were a lot of student experiments that, that did take place on space shuttle missions, but the turnaround time was pretty variable. Today, uh, you know, it's, we can have these students get their results you know, six months to a year after, after conceiving the idea uh, so they can still be in school uh, to get their results back. And what an exciting time that must be for them to be holding a mixed stick, for example, that was just in orbit, just held by an astronaut. And now they get their samples back and, and, and enjoy the scientific process.
3: Okay. Um, Liz, I have a question. Um, It's actually a health question and you've touched on it a little bit. Um, I got a caution before I ask the question just by saying, you know, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm an educator by trade. That's what my degree is. Uh, I I have probably very limited knowledge of uh, medicine or anything like that. But um, one thing I do know is um, on earth, um, bacteria, um, antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Is kind of has become a public health issue, I would say, probably within the last decade or so. Um, I, I've had, you know, people I've known who have had MRSA, and, you know, it's just it's just been something that has gained, you know, I don't know if it's more visibility, but it's something that's become a little more common in the last 10 years, and it's been kind of frightening because, obviously, it's very difficult to treat. You know, I've done some reading, and a lot of the research coming up on the ISS is going to be, you know, about... Um, how, you know, bacteria behave on orbit and um, how it's resistant to, you know, medicine and kind of working with that. Um, you know, my question is, how can the lessons we learn, you know, on orbit contribute to a better understanding of this phenomenon on Earth? So, you know, in the future, not as many people will be affected, you know, by this kind of thing, and they don't have to worry about, you know, getting a routine surgery and becoming extremely sick afterwards. <laughs> how can that I don't know if to call it a spinoff, but perhaps it could be a spinoff of NASA, you know, help us here on our planet.
2: Sure. And it's a really good question because sometimes I think that we forget at NASA to tie it back to Earth and how results from microgravity can can help us here on Earth. And one really good example is studying bacteria. And as we've talked about uh, there's evidence that bacteria undergo some changes in microgravity. Um, some of them become more virulent or just they get a little more able to cause disease. They, they grow faster. They may become more more resistant to bio- antibiotics. They are able to um, form biofilms easier, basically colonies or, or grouped grouped colonies. So we take these bacteria into microgravity and we study them there because they're more virulent or more active or or, uh, are growing faster. And we study them at a genetic, uh, at a microbiological level. So we have a group of bacteria that we take into microgravity. And if this particular group of bacteria um, become more aggressive, for example, in microgravity, we're able to s- basically study what's going on within their genetic code. Something turned on the ability to grow faster. Something about being in microgravity changed the bacteria. So we try and look for which genes are turned on or down regulated and turned off. We look at controller genes, which may control a whole variety of cellular. Uh, activities. And if we can identify which of those genes is particularly mm, turned on or made uh, more active in microgravity, that's the knowledge that we're taking back to Earth. For example, if you have bacteria that showed some more aggressive behavior and you found a gene that controlled some of that aggressive behavior, can we target that gene with medications, antibiotics, uh, down here on Earth, and so that's that 's why we 're using microgravity and we We can really study it at the genetic level what 's going on the The real key, of course, is that maybe on Earth we don 't really have such clear guidance as to which genes we need to target there 's you know maybe a hundred two hundred three hundred genes which we think might be involved. In bacterial aggressiveness. And when we go into microgravity, we may uh, kind of target down, down select which genes we really need to target with medications. So that's the real benefit of, uh, of studying uh, bacteria in microgravity.
3: Thank you so much for answering that question. Um, just because, you know, I know people on earth who have been uh, adversely affected by, you know, uh, back, um, antibi- antibiotic uh, Resistant bacteria, you know, and it's a to me, it's a big public health issue. Gene, did you have any uh, questions that you would like to follow up with?
0: Yes, thank you, Emily. Um, first off, Liz, thanks so much for uh, for being here with us today. I appreciate it. I remember an experiment that uh, went up, I think, around the time of STS 134 that had to deal with uh, bacterial growth and so on. I think it was. Directly late related, actually, to uh, to possible implications with MRSA or or anything like that 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 would be quite deadly to us here here with the human beings. Uh, what are are there any experiments going on such as that to control to to learn how to how to deal with these type of bacterial infections?
2: Well, yes, and I, I should have mentioned actually, even on orbital, we've got a a antibiotic effectiveness experiment launching uh, the PI is Dr. David Klaus at the university of Colorado, and he is going to be launching some bacteria, you know, as we, as we said earlier, and to echo what Emily said, millions of infections and, and thousands of deaths in the, in just the United States alone, where we have accessible healthcare uh, are you know, occur due to bacterial infections, MRSA, um, and basically the methicillin resistant Staph aureus. They're, they're, we have antibiotics, but we're actually having now bacteria that are becoming resistant to antibiotics. And so that's pretty scary because these infections can take hold and they can be uh, pretty nasty. And like I said, cause deaths, especially in our elder popu- elderly population. And, and our very young population. And so understanding how to develop better antibiotics is certainly something that can benefit all of us here on Earth. And so I'm actually not even sure which bacteria are being launched in Dr. Klaus's experiment, but um, the concept is the same. He's going to study which genes get turned on in these bacteria that allow them to be more aggressive, And, uh, then he's going to try some antibiotics when they get back to earth to target those maybe controlling genes that, that were responsible for making the gene or making the bacteria more aggressive.
0: Yeah. uh, Again, Liz, this is, this is grand stuff because as you, as you indeed mentioned, a lot of the, uh, the uh, impact of, of all these bacterial infections. People go into the hospitals, and they don't, you know, and they they usually pick up something while they're in there. And if you can learn to prevent that, and learn to make a hospital possibly a little cleaner, and, and, and to learn how to deal with, with that type of situation. Wow, I mean, I mean that's again a, a grand application to uh, to uh, stuff back here on Earth coming from the International Space Station.
2: Indeed, a vaccination or better antibiotics, that would truly be a wonderful, wonderful uh, benefit from space station research. Of course, um, medications, vaccinations, they take several years to go from testing on bacteria to testing and if you know being used in clinically in humans so we have a little bit of a lag time there to wait uh, for the research to to mature enough for it to be seen in in your local hospital but um, certainly it could be a, a great benefit if it does get that far
0: uh, yeah I, I've worked with a I've worked with pharmaceutical companies before so the, I know all about the the formulary yeah. process and, and how long it can be um real quick question though with reference to the experiment that's flying with radiation uh do you expect that to yield any kind of kind of well i'm not going to go ahead and kind of speculate on on the results but what other uh experiments that are going on either currently or posted for the future that deal with radiation exposure because again that that's one of the things that we're trying to to isolate and figure out how to deal with with reference to going to Mars and if we can solve that problem well obviously one of the one of the other key things is faster propulsion so we don't have uh, that long exposure but um, what other experiments can you talk about that directly relate to uh, trying to deal with Uh, radiation exposure issues uh, on orbit, so this way our astronauts could be safer.
2: Well, a lot of the experiments that deal with radiation on orbit that are are ongoing and and that aren't student experiments are all about characterizing the radiation environment on board. We have various types of dosimeters uh, scattered about um, measuring how much radiation there is, how good of a job the shielding does on the space station, um, where where there's the most radiation, where there's the least amount of radiation. And so a lot of the experiments are simply characterizing the environment. Um, as you alluded to, you know, right now, until we make some type of a breakthrough understanding of 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 protecting human beings from radiation, in my opinion, one of the keys to going to Mars is getting there faster, limiting the exposure to radiation by limiting the amount of time we are outside of the Van Allen belts. The radiation environment that the space station is, is currently in. It's a lot different than the radiation environment on the way to and, and orbiting Mars, so we have a little ways to go to understanding how to protect humans. And there may not be a real good breakthrough other than getting, getting our crew members there faster and getting them home faster. Uh, so that's, it's, it's, one of a big, it's one of the big risks to long-duration spaceflight, for sure, is the radiation environment. And the, the solar cycle plays a role, uh, how active the sun is. And then, of course, there's the other kinds of radiation, which are um, not cyclic with the sun. They have to do with galactic cosmic rays and heavy ions, particles that are traveling from you know, the center of galaxies or or undetermined locations. And those heavy ions um, and galactic particles, they are very damaging to DNA and the concern, of course, is once you've got damaged DNA that uh, you know, the, that particular DNA may get replicated and replicated and replicated, and the mutation may end up uh, being something that is cancer-causing. So that that's one of the great concerns about space radiation for human health.
1: You mentioned working with the astronauts. Uh, they are certainly... An interesting bunch of people. Everyone that I've talked to, I've been fascinated with, you know, what they have to say. Uh, how are they to work with? Are they uh, are they at times a challenge? Because they certainly can't be expert in everything, but there's such a variety of science that they are tasks to, uh, to keep up with.
2: Well, I have got to say that I am nothing but extremely impressed with our astronaut corps. Uh, We take individuals with a variety of backgrounds and turn them into astronauts who have to be generalists. They have to be able to do an EVA, sometimes unplanned, something we may see in the next couple of weeks, in fact. They have to be able to learn a tremendous amount of information, but not just learn it, be able to integrate. What does it mean? What is the relative lesson learned here? Uh, you can't possibly remember everything from training two two and a half years of critical systems of experiments of flying a spacecraft. You can't possibly remember everything, but if you become a generalist in your learning and in your training, you're able to apply general knowledge. Uh, that's really what we're what we're producing with our astronauts, and I have been impressed with how quickly. Crew members during a training session, for example, are able to very quickly assess what is the take-home message? What do I really need to know here and how to not screw it up? Um, They're high achievers. They are success-oriented. And they want to do the best job possible to a competitive degree. They want to not just do the best job possible. They want to be better than the next guy. So, um, it's, it's actually rather fun to train astronauts. They are interested in the science. They know that the science that we're doing on the International Space Station is benefiting people on Earth and benefiting future space exploration. They are interested in, in getting really good results for the PIs. One of the benefits of doing research on the International Space Station is that a PI and when I say PI, that means a principal investigator, the person who uh, conceived of and designed the experiment to be performed, they actually get a lot of interaction time with crew members uh, depending on the experiment. For example, there's an experiment called, we call it BASS for short, but it's burning and suppression of solids in space. We're interested in, in how materials burn in space, the experiment itself involves a lot of uh, hands-on work with the crew member. And they perform this experiment, of course, in a safe manner, in a glove box, especially designed microgravity sciences glove box on the space station. It allows them to do the experiment safely. And they interact, the The scientist on the ground is on the radio or on the, on the comm loops directly talking with the crew member. And sometimes they see something interesting. Hey, can you go back and do that again? Can you repeat that? Oh, let's skip this next step. That direct interaction between the astronauts and the investigators is really unique. It allows for science to really happen. You know science is sometimes um serendipitous it's and there's I think I saw some a quote recently on on Twitter or some other social media uh venue. That, was, uh, that made me smile because it was, you know, something about science is, is often, you know, those moments where you go, huh, that's funny. That's when you learn something really new, uh, an observation that, that maybe the astronaut makes or the scientist watching on the ground and, and on the International Space Station. We have the resources and the, and the crew time available to explore those little mm, unplanned, serendipitous results and so that's uh that's one of one of my favorite aspects of of course working with with uh, with experiments on orbit and and in training astronauts. I know that was a little bit of a long answer to a simple question, but I, I uh, thoroughly enjoy working with our crew members.
1: I thought you might, and I honestly I was really looking forward to hearing more about it as to, to your perspective because you know, as media we get a few minutes here and there to talk to an astronaut and ask them usually specific questions that relate to a mission or, or something of that nature. And it's, it's different when you think of them in the laboratory, you know, working as, as participants in, in, you know, very detailed and experiments that have to be done just right. And it's, uh, I knew it'd be good news. So you didn't disappoint with that answer. <laughs> good.
0: Hey, Liz, uh, Jean McCulka here again. Um, you talked about current results and, and things like that coming from the ISS. Can you talk a little bit about some of the experiments that you do have some results on that may have some interesting applications back here on Earth? I know, you know, ISS, there's science going on, on on board ISS all the time. Some of the experiment results, some folks can't talk about because of you know they may be contractual obligations here and there. Uh, but I was just wondering, too, Is are there any uh, current experiments that you do have some good results on that you can popularize and kind of talk about with us, with our audience, that may have, a, you know, down the road, may have an application back in their own homes or in their own lives?
2: Well, sure. And, you know, I'll fall back on a couple of my favorite examples. Uh, one of them has to do with some experiments that were done in support of astronaut health in terms of nutrition so while astronauts are living in a closed environment without a lot of sunlight direct sunlight and without a lot of access to fresh food uh, nutrition is a very important uh, part of their day Uh, eating enough calories and, uh, and getting enough vitamins and nutrients well there's a investigator at Johnson Space Center his name is Scott Smith and he is uh, the lead of the Nutritional Biochemistry Laboratory. And he's done experiments on the space station and Antarctica and a variety of spaceflight analogs and and determined that uh, vitamin D is particularly important to bone health. And uh, this is a little bit of a convoluted story, but essentially... The Federal Drug Administration (FDA), along with some of his results from spaceflight, mostly in Antarctic studies, but found that Americans are not getting enough vitamin D, and so the FDA uh, recently, within the past few years, raised the the minimum requirement or recommended daily allowance of vitamin D for all Americans. And that is a result that was contributed to uh, by space flight or by space station science that, so that's an example that affects everyone every one of us right now another uh pharmaceutical result that I can talk about um, a company that you may have heard of uh called amgen they're they're a large pharmaceutical they uh There's a couple of of shuttle flights that docked to space station. So we take the credit uh, and say it's International Space Station Science. And these were actually results from rodent studies. Amgen took a drug that they were developing and they, again, sort of a long story short, tested the idea or the concept for the drug on some mice that were going to the space station and e- mice, just like humans, will lose bone density and microgravity, even on a short two-week mission. And the drug or the pharmaceutical that they were trying to, to develop helped prevent bone loss in these mice. And along with a suite of other uh, trials that, that Amgen was doing, um, the microgravity research results contributed to their uh, getting... Again, FDA allowances. And so that drug is actually on the market right now. I think the investigation occurred a little bit earlier in the assembly. STS-108 is ringing a bell. And now that drug has actually been on the market. It's called Prolia for a couple of years. And that is an osteoporotic, osteoporotic uh, drug that is prescribed to people with, uh, in particular, bone or wasting diseases associated with uh, chemotherapy. So sometimes cancer patients experience more rapid bone loss. So prolia can actually be used to help prevent that bone loss.
0: And with the graying of the country, uh, we're going to have more and more individuals prone to getting you know, osteoporosis as things, as our nation gets older and older. So uh, again, some some great contributions coming out of the International Space Station to uh, to, he- to health and 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 all of this. The one thing I I did also want to highlight a little bit is nutritional aspects too, because um, I know recently some some in Congress have kind of sort of poo pooed the idea of of studying uh, getting like for instance a menu for for potential. Uh, astronaut crews to, to go to Mars and people spending all oh, you're spending all this money on all this stuff. Well, this isn't just a menu for, for astronauts on, on going to Mars. This is a menu that theoretically could have a, a, a uh, an effect on what we eat back here on earth. No?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> as Americans in particular, uh, we don't have the best dietary habits and, we also don't have the most sustainable attitude uh, toward our planet. And um, a meal for Mars, I, I believe I, I have in mind foods that can be grown along the way, soy products, using plants for protein sources. Uh, those are those are sustainable ideas uh, rather than relying on on animal products only for protein. And and, uh, and a complete nutritious meal. So certainly, the the planning that we're doing for long duration space flight can certainly be applicable to the rest of us who aren't going on long space flights. Okay.
0: The one of the questions I did want to ask is with reference to the duties you have as uh, trying to communicate all these ideas and and so on. One of the the big problems that I've run into is that a lot of people don't really understand that ISS is still up there. It's still doing doing some tremendous work for for humanity and for here in the United States. It has direct applications to everyday life here, uh, back home on Earth. But yet, I've gone to several events where a lot of people just think because the shuttle program ended, everything ended. We've kind of everybody thinks we've kind of sort of just packed up our tents, and that's it. How do you combat that 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 kind of mentality in communicating everything that that's been going on with the International Space Station? Because again, I've I've been to several events where I've worn my NASA paraphernalia, and luckily I have had my iPad with me, and I've said, "No, no, it's it's far from over." And when they find out that we not only have of four different you know, spacecraft under development. We have uh, the, you know, the SLS under development currently. We have uh, several uh, companies that are vying to become uh, shuttle services to the International Space Station. We have several suborbital companies that are out there trying to do some suborbital science. Everybody thinks now space, SpaceX is our space program. How do you, how do you go ahead and, and combat that? as uh, trying to communicate all of these ideas and all of the, literally, the treasures that are coming out of the International Space Station.
2: Well, you, you hit on a lot there, and I've got to say it's really a shame and a little bit of, uh, it's, a, it's a failure on our part to be telling the American public that our space station is very much alive and well with the end of the space shuttle that really began the era of the space station at assembly complete. That's when we really are getting into the nitty gritty science and it's a little slow to occur. Science does not move at the speed of light. Well, some science does, I suppose, (laughs) but um, so it's, it's a little bit harder to keep the interest of the media and of the, of the American public. But we very much have a very, very active science program, and it is, it's growing by the day. We're getting more and more investigators aware of the space station and interested in conducting their research on the space station. We are open for business and ready for more. We are very much interested in attracting not just the attention of the American public, but attracting the attention of potential investigators, people that want to utilize this this national laboratory, and you know movies movies like gravity well well, it can be argued, there wasn't a lot of accuracy, but it sure was stunning visually. Um, I wonder how many people saw the movie gravity, but was but were like, well that we don't have a space station, do we there's a lot of people who don't even know we 've got a space station. And that's a failure on many parts, not just NASA, but but of the media as well. Just because it's not uh, extremely dynamic, there are people in space there have been for you know 13 years now, uh, continuously on the space station, and uh, it's a little bit of a shame that we have to fight for attention because that alone. From an engineering perspective, from an international cooperation perspective, and from a science perspective, is truly phenomenal.
0: And, yeah, indeed, Liz, I mean, that, that flag that's flying over Building 30 over at the Johnson Space Flight Center, that hasn't come down in 13 years and and I mean that that's exciting. That flag, for those of you who don't understand what that means, when there's a flag flying over when the American flag is flying over Building Thirty, it means that there's a there's an astronaut on orbit or there's an astro- there's a U.S. astronaut in space. That flag has been flying continuously for thirteen years. So, and I'm hoping I'm hoping there isn't one moment where that flag comes down. It's just how how do we go ahead, ahead to, to just a, a real quick follow up on, on that how do we go ahead and and how can the person out there on the street for instance that may have a, an interest in trying to get your message out go ahead and help you guys out a little bit and and how in general can the media can go ahead and help help out a little bit
2: well that's that's a million dollar question i think people that are interested in space uh, we have some wonderful fans out there and they are active on twitter they're active on social media i i would you know, I would encourage people to continue trying to spread the message. We, we at NASA, we, we have limited capability in terms of, of letting people know what we do. We can't buy advertising. We can't put out our own, you know, br- we can't advertise. We're just limited in legally what we can do. Um, so, you know, we somewhat rely on people who have an interest to spread the word. And we are trying to uh, arm people with with knowledge that might might interest their neighbors, uh, might interest their grandmothers, might interest their children. We've got a website w- with tremendous amount of information on it. it. It's not always the most easiest website to navigate, but. We have we're transparent in so much of what we do. There are some science experiments which are categorized as proprietary, and, be- and the results belong to the investigators. But much, most of what we do is out there for everyone to use and to and to know about. So I would encourage people that are interested go to the space station website, check out the research and technology section. Get a couple of bullet points that mean something to you, whether it has to do with health. We talked about bacteria. We talked about bone. A lot of people know somebody with osteoporosis. If you can learn a little nugget to share with people, whether you're waiting in line at the grocery store, going to a movie, just out in public, if you can share a little nugget that means something to you, uh, maybe you can connect with someone who Never would have thought of the space station otherwise. Everyone can do a little bit to help. The media, you know, tends to focus on the vehicle itself. So, you know, there's exciting news right now with the coolant loop failure and what might be done to solve that problem. It's great that that people are interested, but I, I wish they were also interested in the science. That's our job, to make the science something that is interesting to people and make it palatable, digestible, and understandable.
0: And again, if if folks wanted to do that, that would be www.nasa.gov forward slash station, and they would go from there?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's an easy link. Another, if you want to go directly to the science portion of the space station page, www.nasa.gov forward slash ISS, Hyphen Science.
0: So, as we touched a little bit on what's been going on with um, ISS science and how it literally touches people's lives, is there anything else that we could go ahead, or or folks can go ahead and take a look at to understand how the International Space Station's research is affecting uh, uh, people down here today, right now?
2: Well, absolutely. Actually. We've just come out with a new video on YouTube. It's called Benefits for Humanity, in their own words. And I encourage people to take a look at it. We uh, interview folks who have been directly affected by space station research and technology development. And I think you might be surprised. Uh, some of these stories are, are pretty compelling and heartfelt. It's, it's not your typical NASA video. And again, it's called Benefits for Humanity in Their Own Words. And there's a couple of segments in there where we go out and talk to people around the world who, who have been touched by space station science and technology. And uh, I hope you enjoy it.
0: And again, we'll put a link to that in our show notes
3: you talked a little bit about, you know, the movie Gravity, Um, even though it's not, you know, really scientifically accurate in a lot of ways. um, It did, you know, capture the public's imagination about, you know, space flight, and of course the ISS was uh, featured in the movie, although it uh, didn't really have a great uh, ending in the film, but that's okay. I I don't want to spoil the movie for y'all who haven't seen it, but anyhow, um, there's another film that's coming out I think the trailer just dropped yesterday. It's uh, called Interstellar um, yes. by Christopher Nolan. And um, I'm just, you know, there's kind of like a disconnect, you know, between, you know, science and popular culture, I think. And I'm starting to find that more recently, you know, it seems like people, the further, you know, we as a nation get away from, you know, we don't have a space shuttle anymore. I don't think the man's program, gets as much attention as it should, you know, I mean, we hear about the ISS, but this week we heard about the ISS because of a, you know, a failure of hardware, not because of anything anyone did on the ISS. That was significant. And there's always stuff, you know, I think that's significant that's going on the, you know, ISS. Do you think that, um, you know, the proliferation of, you know, space films coming out that do you think it'll maybe create a dialogue about what's actually going on in space because sometimes I wonder, you know, these movies are really cool and I'm not, but I'm just wondering if people will actually get excited about
2: it. And that's a great question, Emily. I know that personally I was extremely excited to see a space movie with big star power come out, you know, gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney and that the international space station was in the movie. I was Thrilled, and I hope that it generated a lot of discussion. To be honest, I don't, I don't know of a way of really measuring that kind of uh, impact or impression. I know that there was a lot of articles in the general press that had to do with the movie and mentioning the space station. So I, I like to think that that got some discussion going again. I think uh, particularly Americans have a short attention span, and so if it's not brought up again and again, um, maybe it's it's you know out of sight, out of mind. I think we'll enjoy another slight bump in attention come Academy Awards season. That might also you know bring that movie back to light. But as you mentioned, Chris Nolan's movie Interstellar, I believe it's called. Um, that is coming out about a year from now. I just saw the trailer yesterday, and again, absolutely thrilled. Any attention that we can get, even if even if it's maybe a negative result or or you know it involves destruction of a spacecraft, any attention we can get, I think, is good, and it starts a dialogue. It's important to continue the dialogue, and and um, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see uh, space back in 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 movie theaters, it it seemed like it was a little while that we hadn't had one. Science fiction and science fact go together hand in hand. We inspire them. They inspire us. I know that as a kid, Star Wars certainly had an influence on my direction in life. And if you were to talk to George Lucas, I like to think that he would say he was a little bit inspired by NASA at some point so it, i think we go hand in hand together um inspiring each other and uh you know we're, as humans we're dreamers you know even even those of us that don't like to to say that i think we're always curious we're always looking out at the horizon we're always wanting to know what the next step is and and we're inspired by by our space program period you know we do things at nasa that uh, are they seem larger than life. They seem bigger than any one of us can can uh, can imagine on our own. And so, when you get an organization that does things that are that seem impossible, that's inspiring. So, I like to I like to think that the that Hollywood's movies uh, keep us in the limelight.
1: I almost hate asking this because it seems um, p- potentially kind of depressing with all of the all of the good news that you've been bringing us, but you're in a unique position there working at Johnson Space Center. Would you say that with the end of the shuttle program, people would have moved on? Is NASA seeing a loss of, of expertise? Have things changed?
2: There was, I believe, a loss of expertise, certainly from the shuttle side, but... We're evolving, and even, as I mentioned, you know, the astronauts are evolving as well. The type of people we're hiring, we're all changing together in the way that the space station, the space station is evolving. The program is evolving. We went from assembly to, and now we're really in a science direction. We're really, we're talking paradigm shift here. While the end of the shuttle program was was sad, I was not a fan of ending the space shuttle, but You know, that's above my pay grade that those decisions get made. Um, But we're evolving and adapting and learning. And now we have commercial spacecraft coming up to the space station. We have commercial companies. We have more and more people doing spaceflight. China just landed a rover on the moon. You know, like it or not, we are becoming a a spacefaring people a species. It's not just NASA doing spaceflight anymore. It's commercial companies, it's other nations. And of course, that's not to diminish what the Russian and the Soviet programs had been doing. We're more and more people are doing spaceflight. And and so I think it's just an evolution and it's a continual evolution.
0: So Liz, uh, you'd probably say that the end of the shuttle program, while it did you know, unfortunately, th- caused the loss of some folks. It actually did, in some in- instances, create some opportunities.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, opportunities for the commercial sector, but also opportunities for for a new a new way of doing business in space. We have commercial partners not only designing spacecraft. We have a, a partner, Casis. They are managing the national lab and they are opening space to people who never considered using space as a research environment the pharmaceutical companies for example they have an easy route to get their research into space through cases they don't it's no longer just nasa holding the reins anymore it's it's we're really in a in a new era of scientific discovery which is really exciting
1: Liz we we started out our conversation with you telling us about some of your days at uh, university and, and your degree programs, do you have any advice for students that are today working towards their dreams of future work?
2: Well, certainly. As someone who decided pretty early on what I was interested in, um, you know, I think our space program is ripe for young engineers, young scientists, young technology developers Um, And it's easier and easier to get involved. Um, Students, we talked about students in grade five through 12, having their experiments done by astronauts on the space station. And, you know, there are a lot of educational activities out there uh, to get involved. And those types of things can keep you going. You know, you don't necessarily have to get a PhD to do science in the space station anymore. So, advice wise to students that I tend to give is to, you have to be a little tenacious. Sometimes you have to, uh, have a goal in mind. And sometimes there's short term goals and long term goals. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to lose track of those long term goals unless you have some short term goals in the meantime. But, uh, another one of my favorite pieces of advice which I still apply in my daily life, is sometimes you get an answer that you don't like, a, a no. It's like, can I do this? No. Well, sometimes the answer is, 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 uh, is finding another person to ask the question to, uh, finding some other solution for your problem, and um, being tenacious is, is part of that.
1: Good words, good words, every bit of it. Liz, is there a way that people can communicate with you directly? If, if you care to share that, you're certainly welcome to.
2: Well, absolutely. I'm going to give you a phone number and an email address. Any questions about Space Station can be directed to one of these two places. There's an International Space Station helpline for researchers or people just interested in research, 281 281- 244 6187 that is our helpline and the e- the email address for people interested in science and space and research on the space station it's a little bit of a long email address but it is jsc as in johnson space center hyphen iss hyphen research hyphen helpline at nasa.gov. So it's jsc-iss-research-helpline at nasa.gov. We're there to help you. We're, uh, in particular, people who are interested in doing space science, and we're uh, we're excited to share the space station with as many people as possible.
1: And with that, if I could find the biggest talking space thanks to send your way, I would find it. But I've got too many to choose from, so I'll say thank you for myself and thank you for our listeners. And it's been a thrill to have you. You've done such a great job communicating with us and our listeners. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
3: Yeah. um, Liz, first of all, uh, I'd love to thank you for your uh, participation on our program. Uh, I think I've seen you at a couple events before, but I've never spoken to you. (laughs) So it's lovely to finally have the opportunity to uh, speak about, you know, uh, what's going on on the ISS. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Absolutely, my pleasure.
0: And Liz, just to echo Emily's thoughts, and you know, I, I can't, uh, I can't think of a more elegant uh, spokesman for what's been going on on board the International Space Station than yourself. We've, this was a, an eye-opening. Uh, Few uh, few minutes we had with you, I just wish it could have been longer. And uh, again, thank you for your time and uh, and thank you for helping uh, to popularize uh, what is going on on board the International Space Station. The International Space Station is a is a is a national treasure and should be looked at by uh, by the American people as such. And I think you really really reinforced that today. So again, indeed, my my thanks to you for taking the time out of your schedule to be here with us today. I appreciate it.
2: Well, absolutely, and I, I hope we can have some continued, uh, you know, have me back for other launches and for other issues and topics that we want to talk. Uh, this one was was a little bit broad, but we and you know we can focus down on a particular topic uh, some week, or we can, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities that we can pursue.
1: Having looked at the list of experiments on station, I can see that. <laughs> There is a lot to focus on. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) People look around the website and they will find out just what we mean by that. Well, that's it for this episode of Talking Space. Comments and questions are always welcome via email at mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. Via Twitter, we are at Talking Space. And on Facebook, you'll find us coincidentally by the same name, Talking Space. So thank you, everybody. Enjoy.